like this of McFarland. I like that of Eric Larson because those two are like my favorites mm. out of the image guys. And um, you already know my thoughts about Rob Liefeld. And mm. um, I, I don't want to make myself mad, nor do I want to end up clowning on this guy. I feel sorry for him a little bit. I heard your um, podcast today with um, Michael Bailey and it almost got me thinking, yeah, Rob is just acting like a man with nothing to lose. I'll be honest with you. Like that was recorded a while back. And some no, of that I was, thought it was recent. No, that was October. Oh. That was back oh. when I, we did the first episode of, of Marvel Handbook. Uh, that was that we only ever, me and Mike Bailey have ever talked only talked one time, and mm-hmm. so that's months old material. No, it, it sounded new to me. Yeah. I mean, it, you had me fooled. And I'm thinking <laughs> that just came out today, and I'm like, oh, he's right on the money. <laughs> and I, and I'll be honest with you, in recent months, I've really been reevaluating Liefeld, and mm-hmm. I appreciate what he did at Image, but mm-hmm. the man himself has as I'm really souring on him lately. Uh, mm-hmm. And and part of it was like I, I just appreciated the impact he and the Image founders had, and I do think yeah. that he gets beat up a lot. But also, he's really asking for it at this point. And yeah. so it's, it's really hard for me to defend the guy. So I'm not. I'm not no, no. But before, when I was like in high school, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's not that bad. And then when I got out of high school, I'm like, you know, the people, like when I was starting to really, really buy a bunch of comics and read a bunch of them, because I don't know, I had a comic shop in my town. So what happened was I just bought four stacks of everything. I'm like, okay, I'm buying Spawn this week. I'm buying Savage Dragon next week. I'll buy Superman here. I wasn't buying a whole lot of Batman, but I was trying to read what I could. And I don't know, the Youngblood stuff, I never really went out my way to go hurt myself to go buy, you know? It was like, how can I say it? I looked at it and go, I'm trying to find Alan Moore stuff, and I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how can I put it? What's the best way to say this? I don't know. He wasn't on my mind at the time. And I know the Deadpool video game, it came out, but still Deadpool was like an annoyance, you know? And Harley Quinn didn't become, you know, like what she is today. So at the time, I'm thinking, you know, Deadpool's all right. I mean, he ain't, he ain't Deathstroke, but, you know, he's cool. And then the movie came out, and then, like, my mind flipped on, like, no, life voting. All right, life made his one character, like, played by Ryan Reynolds, who's, like, very funny by himself, who might as well have been auditioning for Deadpool in his other movies, like Blade Trinity and stuff like that, and maybe Van Walter, if you want to count it. But, um, I don't know what with, with me and my relationship with Deadpool is, it's like, I like the character in the movie, and I like the other comic stuff that was not Rob Liefeld. Like, with Youngblood, I didn't even get that type of attachment, because I felt like the only good character from Youngblood that I liked was, was Chapel, because of the HBO Spawn TV series, which to me, I mean, that kind of made me look at at least Chapel like, well, he's a serious threat, you know, he's a, he's a badass, and this guy, I mean, I can see why him and I would be buddies, but I can see why Chapel would be guilty, but Chapel's already a vicious cat from the get-go, so, I don't know, that's what it was, it's like when other people have Liefeld's characters, that's when I start to appreciate him versus like when Liefeld does it himself. Like, even Cable, I liked the Cable in the X-Men animated series, because, you know, it was different, and when I was a kid, I'm like, I didn't know who made Cable, and I definitely didn't know who made Deadpool, because he only appeared in a cameo, but Cable, I'm like, okay, he shows up a lot, and then, you know, it was, it was a, how can I say, I got introduced to Liefeld's characters through other media versus the direct source. Like with, like with um, McFarlane and, and Eric Larson, you know, cartoons, you know, like the Savage Dragon cartoon, which I, as a kid, I had like one action figure, like it was a battle damage Savage Dragon. And I'd love to get that figure today. I just got to find it for a decent price. If <laughs> anybody can sell it to me, I'll take it off their hands, you know, in the box. Because that was like my favorite figure because I'm thinking, okay, all right, he's, he's cool. He's like Savage Dragon. No, he's like, he's like the incredible. Hulk, but he has a fin on his head, but he's a cop. And okay, he has a crappy love life. You know, when I was really starting to read the books after I watched the cartoon, because the cartoon was that weird, like, okay, all right, this is what this is what goes on in the Savage Dragon's world, you know? Like, all right, he fights bad guys and puts them in jail. You read a comic book, Basher gets shot in the head by Super Patriot, who wasn't on the cartoon. Mm-hmm. But I like the fact that, okay, this Captain America cyborg guy, he's a badass, but he never showed up in the show. And it, I just wish they would have had a full toy line of that instead of stopping where they did with the Teenage Mutant Ninja turtle toy line but once again that's how i got into savage dragon where spawn it was like the hbo show which i wasn't supposed to watch when i was a kid because my uncle would turn it on late at night on hbo and i'd sneak out there to kind of watch it you know or he better he would have it on tv but wouldn't care if i if i watched it or not but i don't know with spawn i feel like the 97 movie didn't really make me jump up for joy oh they did spawn right it was more like and eh, the, the hbo show did it better and then when i read the comics like okay mcfarland's really you know these days in hindsight it's like he's going real jim starlin you know, with the cosmic stuff and the metaphysical, um, the metaphysical musings of like heaven and hell, and you know the way McFarlane drew the monsters and drew the demons and drew Spawn, just his overall look before he had way too many spikes. Which I don't know. That's the thing. It's like I gotten all these characters for the image characters for different, um, different avenues versus like, well, I read the comic. I'm like, well, I read the comic a little bit later because back in 2008 when I had it, when there was a 
comic shop in my town, I was buying everything. But um, yeah, that's the that's that's I know that's a little tangent about my 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 image stuff. Even with Wildcats with that cartoon, the cartoon wasn't that good. Now that I watch it, but back to like, oh, who are all these people, right? But I kind of wish that Bruce Tim could have done that cartoon versus what they did do. Even though these days I feel like, well, they're doing everything as a DC animated movie. Why not do DC animated universe Wildcats? I know that depends if Jim Lee wants to do it or not. <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure if he's got much of a, a say in that, to be honest with you. I, I've, I, oh. Lately, the more I look at how Wildstorm's been treated at DC, I, mm-hmm. I think that maybe, I don't know if the creators still get a piece of it or what, but it seems like they go out of their way to not exploit those characters. In mm-hmm. any fa- do, were, were they even in the Flashpoint uh, Paradox, or was that all DC characters? Uh, they had, like, Grifter in there, but I didn't see anybody else, like Lady Tron or... or um forgot his name uh majestic yeah um there's also yeah majestrix and they didn't have none of those guys or gals i mean they didn't have zealot zealot came later but rob lifo did that in the issue of um deathstroke and that was a weird i never picked it up but i watched video reviews of it on youtube by a guy um less angry geek who was like on um that guy with glasses and also i used to watch um lynn carr make fun of lifo stuff so for me it was all like well okay these guys are just having a ball with making fun of the sky but at the same time it's like yeah life fell drawing drawing slade who i remember from the cartoon of teen titans yeah that's another thing it all comes back to cartoons with me because of all this stuff it's 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 strange how i'm into comics mostly because of the cartoons but um with the wild storm stuff i do agree they, they, they're treating them dirty and i mean they already cut off like warren ellis's the wild storm and i was reading a lot of that because it got me excited again because i hadn't seen those characters in a long time and i will admit their 90s stuff did get better and they had like once again, Alan Moore writing for him and Warren Ellis doing Stormwatch, which I got both volumes of that in trade. And I've been rereading it a lot lately because it feels very prescient. How, well, if you're DC's going to do like their own edgy superheroes, they should have just done, you know, should just done Stormwatch. You know, you wouldn't have to use Batman or Superman or whatever. You can use Midnighter and Apollo and Jenny. See Jenny Sparks, Sparks and all those Quantum, characters. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what Wildstorm it felt like when it was with DC, it felt all right when it was in its own universe and not crossing over with too many DC characters. Like Midnighter. Like I don't mind Midnighter flirting with um Dick Grayson, because I felt like, you know, well, that's interesting. You know, somebody else thinks he's hot besides Starfire. <laughs> and to me, I look at it I'm like, okay, that's cool. You know, he's, he's Batman, but he ain't really Batman. He's like Batman who just fucks some people up and brutally. And he does it in such a way where it's like, well, damn, <laughs> I'm not making fun of that guy. And at the same time, I don't want to piss him off. But, you know, him and Apollo, they got their thing. And I like those two. You know, those are really good characters. I mean, I mean I'm just speaking personally because, you know, I'm non-binary and everything. So I look at him and go, yeah, that's a great couple. I would like to see more comic books of these two versus like, well, that one little series they did do with them. Who was it? Steve Orlando. Mm-hmm. And I did read some of it. And I was also kind of going like, I know the Wildstorm did their own version of it. And I wish that world, I wish we got to see more of that world i mean i'm surprised it's not adapting like i don't know cw stuff or hbo max or whatever because the wildstorm stuff i look at it's like it's it's marvel comics but with like the ancient aliens you know sprinkled in and advanced alien technologies and their superman is very brutal but at the same time he knows zilla who's like their version of wonder woman because i see a lot of parallels with the wildstorm characters and yeah i mean i I don't know what it is i mean if i I mean i I can't say if i was running things i'd be like yeah let's do more wild storm characters because they're more interesting and you can almost do more weird adventurous stuff with them versus well we're gonna do reboot on superman with no identity now and you know wally west um is now fused with dr manhattan and that makes no sense and i mean i know <laughs> yeah I, I was so one of the reasons why i was excited for the new 52 when it was first coming out is i really wanted to see what would happen when you integrated the Wildstorm characters into the dc universe for the exact reason that you said they had this great pedigree of awesome mm-hmm. writers you know that's what set Wildstorm apart is one of reasons why Image was so dependent on Wildstorm in the late 90s uh, because they had the best universe, the sub-universe. You know, they they really had a good continuity and great creators, art and story, but the important thing to me was the stories and, uh, you know, Warren Ellis and, and, and Alan Moore and James Robinson and Steven Siegel and just, just a murderer's row of great talent up until DC bought them. Yeah, and then DC bought them and gutted them and uh, all the talent left and nobody wanted to deal with uh, being, you know, henpecked by Paul Levitz. I often mm-hmm. attack Dan Didio, but Paul Levitz has his own crime that he committed against creativity. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. and then once Wildstorm wasn't pulling their weight on their own, it seemed like DC didn't want to fool with them anymore. Um, it felt like they bought uh, Wildstorm to have Jim Lee, and the rest of it sort of got
got cast aside over the, the, the next few years. Wildstorm, which had a much more devoted following, felt like it went the way of Malibu, where they just stopped using any of those characters, even though the company bought them. And I know in Malibu, a big part of it is that the creators do have a piece of those characters. They have to pay those creators for the use of those characters. I assume yeah. that some kind of deal like that must be in place for the Wildstorm characters, because otherwise, why wouldn't you exploit those characters? They just used them during the New 52, then they just dropped it. And I can't believe that nobody anywhere at DC want, doesn't want to have something to do with the Wildstorm universe and those characters and doesn't want to like tap this. I'm like this. Why don't they just let Bruce Timm and them do something with them animated? I feel like not all those characters, like for right now, like where they're doing all these DC original movies or whatever, or even with like, you know, like I said, with even a DC universe app, like they could easily make shorts of all these characters or make a series like they did with, with Young Justice. I mean, I look at the Wildstorm characters as they were as written by Warren Ellis and all of them. You have great story potential, right? I mean, that's even what Malibu, which is another one, which I, there's certain characters I like from that, like um, Mantra, you know, the warrior who was a, he was a, you know, he was always in male bodies, but, you know, after that got cut off, you know, he was stuck in this, you know, this woman's body. And that's a story that, I mean, if Marvel didn't screw around with that, I feel like today that would, you, you could still have more potential with it. You could, you could get like a good writer and they can actually, you know, add a different brand new perspective to it. And with Wildstorm, it's the same thing. I feel the same way where it's like, I mean, Lady Tron, like who's like based like um, ro- robotic um, tank girl, you know, I like her character because she's, she, I would say she's broken, but she's very, very, she's lived a life. She's stole. She was a bank robber. She got in the shootout. The scientist brought her back from the dead. It's almost like the reverse of RoboCop, but it's like, you know, like, well, what if, what if the person we brought back in the RoboCop project was an asshole? But it also sounded like Lori Petty because <laughs> in my head, that's kind of how I want to read the character a little bit. Like, yeah, Lori Petty, she was Tank Girl. So also Livewire, DCAU connection. So I feel like with me, I feel like with with even Mr. Majestic, you could easily have Bruce Timm and them do like a Mr. Majestic short or do their own version of like Justice League Unlimited just with Wildstorm characters like Stormwatch Unlimited. They could do it, you know, because I've been rewatching all those shows lately and I go like, you could have put, I mean, you could easily put Wildstorm characters in here. I like your style, Batman. A pity we never teamed up when the world still existed. Batman and Grifter, the boy idiot. Like last night, it struck me again. Like, okay, they got faux black lightning. They don't got real black lightning. They got faux black lightning, yeah. who is faux well, black Vulcan again. You know, because once and, again, Bruce Timm and they were trying to be smarter about about like, well, we do have um black, we do have black lightning's villain who's also merged with like um Huntress's villain. Um, trying to think, his name was Stephen Mandragore, even though he was supposed to be Tobias Whale. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the character and you do a little cross reference, and oh, okay, oh, this is Tobias Whale, but with hair, but voiced by Glenn Shandex, who was like a um, Demolition Man and other stuff and Beetlejuice you know the big heavy set guy okay. and I did a little digging on that because I always find it kind of interesting on that episode because at a time when I watched it I'm like you had the question and Black Canary and Huntress you know doing her the crossbow um, crossbow killer hunter thing you know <laughs> that part made me laugh in the movie like oh the crossbow killer the crossbow killer the crossbow killer I'm the Huntress bitch <laughs> well you and you just reminded me too we never did talk about Birds of Prey did you want to go off on that real quick yeah we can do that yeah i'm sure that was fresh in my mind right there <laughs> okay do you want me to start or do you want to start i've never seen it so it's all on you for this one I, okay should should i do spoilers oh go for it okay all right um birds of prey um the emancipation of holly quinn let's just say it's a breakup movie and all i can tell you about it from my perspective is okay the way she breaks up with him i don't know if he was in that chemical factor or not but it did piss off black mass and my thoughts on it is i like that harley quinn in this isn't like you know she's a she moved past what she was introduced by in Suicide Squad. And that's a movie I don't like too much at all. The only reason I did like it was because of her in it. And everyone else kind of sucked in the director. I'm not even going to get into David Ayer, but his very, I mean, Harley Quinn they did do wasn't even like the Jimmy Palmiotti or even the Bruce Tim Paul Dini one. It was just this weird, like, she could have been um, Sean, like the singer Sean, which that's kind of mostly what she reminded me of. But for the movie, she she started to resemble more to Harley, Harley Quinn of the Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Paul, Man, or no, uh, Amanda, Connor. Amanda Connor. Yeah, Amanda Connor run. Which I like that part with her roller derby in, and then she pissed those pissed those girls off, hit one of them in the nose. I mean, that part made me laugh when she was running through the street trying to get away from Renee Montoya. And I say that part made me laugh because it made me think of the cartoon. You know, like if this was the, once again, if Bruce Timm and them animated it, the 
just how it would have went down. Like, oh, the Joker broke up with me, but I threw, I just drove a gas truck into um into war, turned a little humble abode, Ace Chemical Factory, and then Renee Montoya being on the case. I like that she's an older woman that's played by Rosie Perez. Um, I really like her. She's great. I mean, you know, um, white men can't jump and um, do the right thing, but Mookie, Mookie, Mookie. Um, <laughs> I liked it, her. She was playing it like, you know, like an 80s cop. And it, once again, I thought about the cartoon because that's the version that I'm most familiar with. And the Greg Rucka, you know, the Greg Rucka version, pre-New 52, post-crisis, where later on she would become the question. And um, when I was watching, I'm like, okay, all right. So this is Renee right now, like Gotham Central. Like, okay, see, we're going after Roman Sionis, a.k.a. Black Mask. And I got evidence and I got a contact inside to go get him. And, you know, um, the chief of police or whoever, played by Creighton Duke, from um Friday the 13th um trying to think what that one it was the one where he was hunting Jason that guy um everybody's just getting in Renee Montoya's way which I'm like that's very sexist I mean you know she's a top detective she's out here trying to solve a case you know the rest of y'all here just want to let her do the work and then snatch glory from it where she's like no I'm busting my ass trying to get this guy who's like the brand new mafia down of Gotham and um I like how she was just like oh yeah very straightforward she's a straight shooter like in the cartoon except the only thing missing I thought from the movie was um with um Harvey Bullock because once again on the cartoon I associate those two like they both had to work together like she was a beat cop later graduated up to detective and if I don't think about Batman No Man's Land and all that stuff going on and the Nightfall stuff which in the comics she was she was involved with but she was more like a supporting character than just you know her own you know like we see her adventures through her eyes and stuff like that before she became the question you know she was always just a straight shooter even with Gordon you know who was like you know she's like one of the top cops that Gordon would trust and I don't know once again it reels back to the cartoon where i'm like you know i wish she would have had more more spotlight there but you know they don't have like four seasons and if anything she was more of a background character and you know i liked that she was a lesbian you know in her relationship with her girlfriend who was like the da but um a lot of it was like i felt like at least did the greg rucka stuff well you know like with her being a lesbian being a cop and later on just after being fired from being a cop you know going off to be her own vigilante or detective you know whatever i mean i don't know if they're going to make her the question in the move in the next movie but i like to see it i'm opening idea because i'd read um greg rucka's question pipeline like about 50 times because i was on a real batwoman question kick before the new 52 hit because i'm really like i really like what they did with this character you know she's evolved past from well paul dini and bruce tim made her up but she had a life just like harley did beyond the cartoon and you know it's, it's neat to see her in a movie even though she wasn't in the dark knight movies by christopher nolan but they did have two characters like that were not montoya and bullock like um you know warts and ramirez you know you know, they always have a heavy set cop by seeing those old Batman movies and go, hey, that could have been Detective Bullock. <laughs> he did come out in the 70s. So, you know, once again, another character who was a lot older before I seen him on Batman the animated series. And the Huntress, on the other hand, I felt like she she was like this weird little like um, riot girl version of like the one I saw in, the one I saw in Justice League Unlimited, which that's kind of the vibes I was getting, except she might have been more in line with maybe something else Greg Rucka had done. I, there was a lot of Greg Rucka I saw in The Huntress, too, which goes to show, I mean, that guy, damn that guy can write i mean i'm i'm really i really love his work and um black canary was another one where i'm like she's not my favorite but i liked her version in just like unlimited now the arrowverse version i didn't like too much now, now i know white canary was on um legends of tomorrow and i don't mind her but the second one who later on died and was replaced by her earth 2 counterpart you know i like that actress but you know once again like cisco had to make her a device on the arrowverse to do the sonic scream but like um jesse spell it bell and I like Jesse's, you know, I like Jesse's, I like the actress they got playing her in the movie because, you know, she was a singer and it looked like they took little bits from the, you know, the, the post-crisis and maybe bits from like the new 52, except instead of being like a, in a punk, in a punk band, she was more like a lounge singer, which they didn't add in a whole team seven part, which I find that still kind of dubious to this day, thinking in my mind, in my head kind of like, okay, why would her, Amanda Waller and Slade be on the same team with Grifter and um, Lynch, which to me never made any sense. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I never. Never could like uh, trying to turn her into like a covert ops type person. It just never seemed to work for me with that character. I mean, me neither. I, I I think about her being the cop's daughter, or I think about her being the second generation heroine. When you yeah. try to get her part of you know Team Seven or whatever it was, that's that's. I, mean, I just try to make it happen. Something happen that doesn't belong in my brain. It's like okay, why Amanda Waller knows who you are, so she can she can put a bomb in your neck and have you in the Suicide Squad at any time, or 
call you in to do a favor. Slade, on the other hand, well, if he knows he, he might back off or he might not. Grifter, on the other hand, was a weird one, which I don't know if he's still in the current DC universe or not. I don't think but any don't of like, those characters are in there anymore. It seemed like within a couple of years of the New 52, they just, they all disappeared. Because uh, we talked earlier about Wildcats. I was really looking forward to that Wildcats book because I love Ramon De, uh, Villalobos' artwork. Oh, yeah. Shout and, out on Twitter. That guy's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I actually, I got, he was in town last year and I got two pieces from him. I got him to do one of my original characters and I got him to do one of the members of the Hyper Clan from uh, oh, from JLA. From Grant Morrison. Yeah. From Grant Morrison, JLA. Yeah. Yeah. He did uh, Pro- Protex. <laughs> he did Protex, the leader, and he, he went in there. The, the, the guy they were working with apparently got uh, the artist in his stable to start using a lot of Zipatone and so he employed mm. that for the artwork. It is gorgeous. I need to get it out there, but I've, I've seen it. Yeah, I've neglected my idol head of Diablo block for so long that when I want to try to build it up and then put that out there I don't want to just put it out there cold and, and you know because it oh. deserves to be seen but yeah that was going to be so awesome and then it just doesn't happen and then there's not really even much in the way of word of why it didn't happen it just is gone you know? and, and to this day kind of it just when I got the news it pissed me off but like I was saying about Birds of Prey it's like I could see a lot of, I could see a mishmash of Batman DCAU and a little bit of whatever new 52 slash rebirth stuff but like all the characters out design wise to me they look like themselves I mean Harley looks like the Amanda Connor, Jamie Palmiotti version. So I have no, I have no, I have no beef with her. Black Canary, I'm like, well, I could possibly see her version being like the new 52 one, but you know, played by, you know, a black actress instead of a white actress, which to me, I thought like that's all cool. I mean, I really, to me, I'm like, well, as long as you do that, that's fine. I mean, it doesn't matter like her origin, long as like, you know, because Renee Montoya mentioned, well, your mother went when she working for a Roman Sionist, right? And, you know, because that made me think, well, Renee must know her mother from way back then. And they don't do any mention of Batman or anything, but Harley does name one of her um name name her one hyena Bruce. So I'm thinking, does she know who Batman is, or is that just a random nickname? I'm thinking it's a little nod in the wink of. No, nah, I'm gonna name him Bruce because well, I, I, we killed Robin one time, me and me and Mr. J. <laughs> but um, let me think what else. Hey, and Cassandra Kane, she's another one where, where I'm like the movie version. I do got some familiarity with her post-crisis, you know, No Man's Land, having her own series from like the late '90s to like the the aughts um version of Cassandra Kane where she didn't say anything but she was like a really good fighter daughter of lady shiva and you know the assassin david kane who's running around in no man's land working for lexon four and you know one of batman's many teachers who taught him how to you know how batman to be the best it is what what he does and um cassandra kane in the movie i get making her like a street orphan pickpocket would work for people who don't know the character but knowing what what i do know about the character she i know she didn't say much in the movie which i'm guessing that's more of a wink and a nod of like well this is almost the the Cassandra Kane you know about but you know she's like a she almost reminds me of a hit girl just being like a you know trash talking cursing smart ass you know you know teenage kid who you know she's in a rough spot she can handle herself or her in the comic book she could fight you know she she fought Batman you know which I kind of wish once again another character who should have been in a DCAU but then that would mean you have to do Batman's No Man's Land also as a story arc which they would have never did even in Justice League could have never I don't know if they would have ever done it or not but I would like to entertain the idea of like well, Bruce Tim, why didn't you do? Why didn't you guys do that? You know, you could have. You could have also crippled Barbara Gordon in that, but make it in a way. But then I got to think Batman Beyond, where Barbara Gordon's walking around and she's commissioner. I don't know. DCAU almost seemed to had done had zigged where the DC post crisis universe zagged, and then the New Fifty Two corrected. And I liked that Batgirl Burnside, but I kind of missed it. Oracle, you know, who was like the real founder of Birds of Prey. But I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm aware of those characters and even the stuff that Gail Simone had did. But you know, I've seen those characters like in other books independent of um the bat family like even huntress she was in the joa with grant morrison and them and also when i was watching the movie i had little vibes of that a little bit like well she was just killing you know but i'm thinking well if batman was there she'd be like well no killing or the question was there you know you try to help her out in a tough spot but i don't know if we're ever going to get that version of the question of of the question meeting this version of huntress in, in in a future movie so my mind was racing when i was watching this and i liked that fact that you know black mess was you know he was gay him and victor's Oz, but i felt like in the at least from what I watched with um, Black Mask in the movie called Under the Red Hood, the animated movie with um, Jason Todd. And it was an adaptation of Judd Winnick's story. Now, on there, he was just like a complete 
eccentric psychopath a little bit. Like he had he had a skull mask on, but he was just like you know telling jokes every five minutes almost. So, you know, between him and the Joker, they're just vicious madmen. But in the movie, they made it well. Ewan McGregor kind of did him as this. I don't know. He felt like a character from a different movie. And Victor Zaz did a little bit too, even though Zaz was also in Batman Begins. I remember, but on there was just a bald headed you know thug looking guy who kind of wandered in in and around the background. And he was in, like in the court scene when Bruce made it back to Gotham in that movie. And then he was also in Gotham, which once again, they made him a bald guy, but, you know, played by a different actor who I think was the guy that was in from um, X-Men Apocalypse. You might know who I'm talking about, but not Cal. I think the guy that played Caliban. But I don't know. I just saw Birds of Prey and went like, I know who all these characters are, even from looking at DC's Who's Who. But then four or five different versions of them I've seen from other media start conflicting with me just watching the movie as a movie and a little bit like, well, DCAU Black Canary fights a little bit more like, you know, jujitsu a little bit and a little bit more like, you know, Shadow Kong, you know, and she was a bit more fast and lighter on her feet, you know, where, you know, Huntress did about the same thing. She didn't use her crossbow as much. She used like a bow staff and Harley Quinn's just Harley Quinn. So I, I know how she fights. Um, <laughs> I'm going on a tangent, but the thing is, I love them. I like, I like the movie like as far as the story goes. I like where, I like where it was heading kind of as an origin story for the group. Even though I was waiting for a Barbara Gordon reference, which never came. And, you know, it was more than much like, like the, it's like Deadpool 2. Like, we got the X-Force, but the only Domino is the most interesting one. Everybody else done died. You know, Shatterstar, you're dead. <laughs> uh, Bedlam, oh, yeah, gone. Um, the Vanisher, up electrical lines, we don't need him. But, you know, I feel like, at least with the Harley Quinn movie, Birds of Prey, they didn't kill, they didn't kill too many characters, except for, spoilers, um, Black Mask. You know, he had like a grenade, you know, you know, sleight of hand stuck in his pocket and got kicked off the pier at um, Founders Pier in Gotham. And, you know, he blew up, which we're not going to see him again. And also Victor Zaz died when um, Huntress hit him in the neck with like a crossbow. I don't know, the, the movie, I'm, I'm of two minds. I enjoyed it as a movie and I like it that they didn't try to do what I was, at least what I expected from all the characters, at least the ones with the names like Renee Montoya and, you know, Huntress and all them. At least they, by the end, Huntress looked like Huntress a little bit. She had her mask on and something that kind of resembled her new 52 costume and a little bit of her post-crisis costume, but it still looked more like a jacket, you know, and, you know, I wouldn't say combat pants, more like capri, capri pants, you know, they were black, but she wore like this hood, this shi- like this shiny hood thing throughout the whole movie. And I don't know, that's the thing, the costumes weren't bad, but I could I could see what they were doing, but they weren't trying to do they weren't trying to do more like like the MCU, give you the costumes no matter how real, how ridiculous they may look, you know, like Captain America or or um, Doctor Strange and characters like that. Yeah. That's, I don't know what you think. <laughs> that, that, that's one of the issues I've had with the DC uh, EU is that they oh. are still ashamed about being superhero movies and that that's sort of a drag. I, I wish they could just go whole hog and be into that. Um, that's kind of what I want. I wanted to be like the DC AU and, and MCU. Like, okay, this is Huntress. She wears purple and black. Go. Um, black Canary. Um, fishnets and, you know, blue, you know. I mean, she already has blonde hair. You know, you could do that. But it was more like just her valet like in the movie it's like you know she wore like a yellow and blue type you know like you know crop top or something like that and like some blue dark blue pants so i don't know it was an interesting look but a little more like her like what she would wear in her civilian garb and you know as a superhero costume and the funny thing the one thing you could do with harley quinn being in the birds of prey is by her being as wild and vivacious and, and colorful as she is that would allow for a character like huntress to bring the purple in that would allow for black canary well, actually, she's got a pretty straightforward costume anyway, so she doesn't have to get too. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, but but it, it would it would give a license to other characters to be more flamboyant because it, nobody's going to out you know uh, out Peacock Harley Quinn, and instead no. they they played everything China Street level and, and if anything toned down Harley Quinn, which is the yeah. wrong direction to go for a character like that. For Harley, it's just to me, it's always what she looked like in the cartoon. Like you know, you see her flip around with that on, you know, you go like, okay, I know who she is, and I know her, I know her. I know who her, her sweet her pudding is, but at the same time, when you make her dress down a little bit, like you know, like she just looks like any old body on the street. Even though she's the most notorious woman in Gotham, you know, and her boyfriend is the most notorious man in Gotham. I'm thinking, no, the cops should arrest you on sight, Harley Quinn. <laughs> I mean, no one in Renee Montoya. I'm like, I give her props. I'm gonna arrest you. I ain't, I don't care that you that you broke up with a Joker. You're going downtown. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, if, you, if you're trying to keep a low profile, you don't have facial tattoos. Because I don't even no. know what you look like. If I see, if I know what the tattoo on your face is supposed to be, I can pretty well guess, oh, you must be the infamous Harley Quinn. So, yeah. Yeah, your boyfriend is that clown downtown who keeps fighting the Batman every night. And um, you about gave Commissioner Garden a heart attack. You kidnapped him last week. You do remember that, right? And um, I look at her and go, you just remind me of the rapper Krayshawn or Little Debbie or, you know, I don't know if you, I don't know if you ever listened to their music. <laughs> I, I'm an old, so no. I, although I think I remember <laughs> Krayshawn from a few years like back. If I remember uh, it was Gucci, Gucci, Prada, Prada. Oh, okay. Baby. Yeah. That's... One big room full of bad bitches. I mean, yeah. I used to bump that all the time with my headphones on. I'm like, this is a Harley Quinn song. Why ain't this in Suicide Squad? This, this fits her. <laughs> it's the they... version you're going with right in the movies. Cause I'm thinking her and Krayshawn and little Debbie and V nasty. I mean, that's a girl game. <laughs> they, they were, they were too busy pumping out that uh, Rolling Stones and Aerosmith, you know, that contemporary music. Oh. <laughs> trying to be Scorsese a little bit and uh, Eminem and Eminem in there they're, they're trying to get like the hot topic crowd <laughs> but I, I derailed you on Black Lightning so do you want to circle back to that one or do you oh, or yeah, let's, let's circle back to that I'm sorry I mean I've, I've watched this movie like at least 10 times already so I'm like even with the special features on so uh, it's very fresh in my mind I even yeah. bought like one of those um, Birds of Prey Giant Size number one comics I bought one of those uh, recently <laughs> I, I'm waiting for it to be free uh, I, I it's still yeah I think you have to either buy it or you have to have an elevated rental it's like no 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 I'll wait for cable I'll catch it free <laughs> I know I plan on getting the trades of like the Gil Simone Birds of Prayer I do really don't want to get Chuck Dixon's yeah I, I, really don't like, look, I, I really don't like him right now whatever uh, you know he's he's been a a, a right wing guy for a while so that's not a new development oops sorry I, uh, should I feel less guilty if I buy it off of Amazon <laughs> yeah here's hold on I screwed something up give me a sec okay uh, can, can you hear me okay hey I can hear you okay You're good. yeah I was I was tweaking something with my headphones and messed something up um okay. so for me i thought that chuck dixon was a good writer back in the 90s i thought he was particularly good at writing the batman character uh his politics and mine are not the same obviously mine either. and, and no, he became I mean, more vocal about that as time went by he's another one of those yeah. guys whose blog kind of got him in trouble um i never liked how he night like wrote nightwing and because mm. nightwing's my favorite member of the bat family oh he's mine too he's yeah. mine too uh, Batman animated series <laughs> it's very frustrating to spend years waiting on a Nightwing series and then to finally get it and then not to read it because you don't like how he, the character is being written and how out of character he's, he's being written and uh, same thing with the Birds of Prey is I checked out the early miniseries they did and mm-hmm. I, I I enjoyed them as lo- for the artwork the stories really didn't do much for me and so they started the ongoing I'd pick it up now and again usually when there'd be something related to like a solo Oracle story or Nightwing guest appearances like that and I'd read the issue and it'd be fine but it was never anything there that made me want to stick with it and then Gail Simone came on and I loved her column on uh she did uh which one was the name of her column ah shoot you'll all be sorry I know about that yeah one. So women in refrigerators gave her the notor- notoriety to get hired as a columnist over at comic book resources and she started a humor column called you'll all be sorry which was hmm. hilarious and then she started doing some writing for Marvel one. and then she moved over to DC and I wasn't willing to read her writing Deadpool and stuff but when she hmm. was going to start writing Birds of Prey and especially because they were adding Huntress who's probably like my second favorite Batman family character uh, I figured I'd go ahead just like a limited <laughs> yeah I, I figured I'd, I'd give it a try I did I thought it was great and I ended up collecting the entire Simone run and it was one of the only comic books for a while there that DC was putting out that I was actually still buying on a monthly basis um, mm. now by the end of the run I was kind of over it you know it just kind of had lost its spark but the first several trades up through about I guess issues like the late 80s or 90s early 90s it's really mm-hmm. good stuff the stuff with Ed Bennis and the stuff with um, what's the other fellow's name and I even liked him better um, the art was really great the characterization on the was great the the chemistry between the leads was awesome that's when well, introduced- before Black and White and all that stuff because when it was coming out it was one of those comics where I saw I saw when I was getting on Twitter there was a lot of chatter about oh Gail Simone oh she written Birds of Prey and at the time also another thing in my mind about that the TV show that obviously the WB slash currently CW you know I got that on DVD I'm, I'm going to sit up here and say it now. I got it on DVD. I most got for the Harley Quinn and um, Poison Ivy Gotham Girls shorts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a show once again that made me think, okay, Barbara Gordon's in a wheelchair. Batman disappeared. And, you know, Helena Wayne is busy, you know, at a bar with meta humans and stuff. I mean, that show is like another version of the Birds of Prey that I'm aware of. And not to say I didn't like the show, but at the time it was like Black Canary was being portrayed as a younger character, mm-hmm. which once in an animation, she's being portrayed a little bit older.
Order. And since this predates the Arrowverse, you know, I'm thinking, okay, has there ever been like a consistent version of Black Canary, you know? Yeah. And I know that she was the inspiration for Silk Spectre in, um, for Watchmen, you know, with Lori. Partially. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was Nightshade from uh, Charlton as well. Uh, but the, mm-hmm. but they borrowed from um, uh, the the very fairly recent um, uh, versions of Black Canary there as well. Um, yeah, I, I tried watching the Black Birds of Prey TV show when it was first coming on the air. I watched the pilot and I realized that it wasn't really my cuppa. And I think that was still yeah. when Chuck Dixon was doing it. So mm-hmm. it just there wasn't enough there for me to be into it. And I can't wait for you to, to check out Mia Sarah as Hardy Quinn on that show because oh, she's yeah. going to be unrecognizable. If you're looking for your paycheck, forget it. I don't reward failure. Excuse me, beautiful. I did my job. I got in the truck. You didn't say anything about cops. I asked you to hijack one armored truck, a job you assured me you could do in your sleep. You got caught. The people who work for Harley Quinn don't get caught. Oh, calm down, baby. Nobody has to lose any body parts here. <laughs> Don't be so sure. I'd say like the, like the mid to late 2000s, like 2008, 2009, when I really just gave into the beast and was like, screw it, I'm buying image books, DC books, Marvel books, and stuff that I've never heard of. Thrill me. <laughs> so, that's what my collection is back there most. And um, I got like one issue that he did of Adventures of Superman where they, Tom Grummet was drawing, and I think he inked a Tom Grummet section where Superman, where Jonathan Kent was dead and Superman's spirit was in the afterlife. The, the and, infamous Adventures of Superman 500 with the white. Yeah, that's, that's the one. That's the one. I got it without being in the bag though, because I got it. I had a used version. I got a used copy of it from a friend of mine. I was like, hey, I heard you like comic books. Here, here's a Superman, here's a Gambit, and uh, here's an X Men issue of Gambit who first appeared. <laughs> <laughs> the game well, issues in plastic, so I'm not letting that one out. Sorry. Was it like me where he peeled off the, the enhanced cover and it wasn't anything worth a dang to be bothering with? I, I got the newsstand one. That's the okay. one I got. But the, I, I remember get, correctly, that was Jerry Ordway's last issue writing the book, and that's probably yeah. why he inked that one. And that's where Steel debuted without being Steel yet. Right, right. When he comes oh, out of the debris. Yeah, he comes out of there, he's holding the hammer, looking looking badass. I'm thinking Shaq is never going to play this character. He's going to be voiced by Worf. That's going to be cool. <laughs> um, Eradicator shows up by um, Roger Stern and um, Jackson Guys. who I think when I was young, I couldn't pronounce his name right. I just knew, oh, that guy is, oh, I knew Roger. Roger Stern's a weird one. Cause I didn't even think he created a Hobgoblin, which I got like a little action figure of that too, because once again, going back to cartoons, mm-hmm. that's strange with this. Let's see, I grew up in an era where we see everything in animation first, and I was totally unaware of those comic books till real late. So I feel like I'm, the stuff I'm, 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 I'm bathing in now, I've seen it all animated, mm-hmm. thinking they're they're never going to make movies of none of this. And what movies they didn't make, they're not going to make anymore. <laughs> if only I can go back and tell my 10-year-old self that, no, my 13-year-old self that. <laughs> well, I mean, again, when I was a kid, you know, it, only the losers would have comic books in the classrooms and stuff like that. Only, you know, I, I'd wear my, I, I was one of those guys, I would just wear my freak flag proudly. But I was one of the only guys who'd be wearing a superhero. You, you could wear Batman stuff and you'd be okay. Anything besides Batman stuff and you were a nerd, you know, just simple as that. I mean, now I got a pile of I got like a two or three Deadpool shirts. You I need to get another yeah. Batman shirt. I got like a Harley Quinn shirt, a Joker, a Joker shirt, like two, like two Superman shirts. <laughs> you can't walk into a single classroom without seeing a kid with superhero, not, not just a kid. You're going to see multiple kids with something superhero related. And it's so dominating the media now in part because so much stuff has gone to TV. So much stuff has gone to streaming. They're one of the only spectacles that is reserved for motion pictures these days are the big superhero fests. Right. So, but, it, I mean, in the two, but in the 2000s, I mean, I think late 90s, because I remember Batman and Robin, it came out and that tanked. And I think when I was like a little kid, I'd seen Batman Forever. And I think that's the movie that kind of made me excited at the time. But even I was, I was laughing there with because I didn't know any better because I seen the one on the cartoon and like, oh, hey, it's Riddler acting funny. And it's Ace Ventura. And oh, look, it's Tommy Lee Jones not saying he doesn't care. <laughs> this Chris O'Donnell guy, he ain't that bad of a Robin. You know, because I was young and I didn't know any better because I mean, at the time I didn't know how sport I was with the cartoon being as good as it, as it, as it was. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like the cartoon version is more serious than this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know me and my brother, we had like one Batman action figure. I remember, I think we had like two, like the animated series Burger King or McDonald's one, and you know, I had like the limited articulation, but he looked like the cartoon because that's all that mattered to me. Because mm-hmm. I also later on had Superman animated series one from Burger King that looked like the cur- 
cartoon. And um, I think I had like one George Clooney Batman, but it was like like hockey themed snap on clip armor. It was made by Kenner. So, you know, Kenner did it. Our limited articulation. Mm-hmm. And um, my brother had Robin. And I think I used to get his Robin and play with my Batman with it. Even though John Leguizamo was great in the movie. <laughs> but in the animated series, he was a little... That was not John Leguizamo if they mm. would have really let him let loose. <laughs> he was in another movie I watched with Patrick Swayze and um, Wesley Snipes and, you know, Tu Wong oh, Fu. Oh, Tu Wong Fu. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, I've seen, seen that when I was young and I was almost blown away by it. I'm like, am I looking at this right? Because <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know what drag was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. That's strange, isn't it? Because back then, I'm like, okay, they're going to a drag, um, a, a drag ballroom think i didn't know what that i don't know i'm a young kid i didn't know what none mm-hmm. of this was i'm like well there's there's um there's dirty dancing mm-hmm. there's there's um there's there's Why simon phoenix <laughs> yeah simon and, phoenix, and, there you go. and then there's the pest right there and i'm like <laughs> i, I kind of liked it him a little bit i kind of liked them all because i'm like i'd never seen these actors do this sort of thing you know well see with john leguizamo he would often play women during a stand-up act. i've seen a little bit of those yeah. but for recently. for wesley snipes and patrick swayze to do drag that was a significant moment for cinema that, to me, that was a bit strange because you know, you know, later he's so aggro, you know, he's Blade, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's Simon Phoenix, you know, he's he's Passenger 57, right? <laughs> we're, we're dirty dancing. I'm like, I kind of see it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, he does Even a ton of action stuff too, you know, he Roadhouse and Roadhouse. and you know, Point <laughs> yeah. Break next to Ken, yeah, no, no, Point Break, another you know, with Johnny Utah, <laughs> you know, Keanu before he became the Keanu we all know and love. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the thing, I don't know what it was. I mean, young me was like, I shouldn't be crushing on these people, but I am. <laughs> but it was like, cause my, my uncle had HBO. So we about saw things we probably shouldn't have saw. <laughs> mm-hmm. So say we all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So d- tell me something then. Okay. You were talking about a lot of the childhood characters. When did you start encountering non-binary characters? And did any of those early ones resonate with you? Uh, non-binary isn't recently or? No, I'm talking about back in the day. Oh, back then I probably wouldn't know what that would be. Mm-hmm. I just knew there was some characters who weren't quite women and weren't quite white men they were like it was like prince mm-hmm. where you could you were never you looked at them and they had like the traits of both and you mm-hmm. can never you can never pinpoint and say that well that that guy's a woman or or they mean to misgender anything that person's a woman or this person's a man and you're always in the middle and i don't know for some reason i guess i saw that stuff along like while i was talking about two on food i didn't think that you know people people would do that you know i i didn't know and um i think it was also always shape-shifting characters and stuff like xeno the War, warrior princess or you know or characters like more on X-Men were changing to women sometimes. It's You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, at least in fiction, or heaven forbid, Clayface turning into a woman. <laughs> uh, Batman animated series, because I'm like, okay, he's a dude, right? But now he's a, now he's a lady, I guess, for subterfuge, isn't it? But, you know, yeah, I mean, I think I've seen stuff like Freaky Friday and stuff like that. You know, it was always like people who transformed from one state to another. It was never like full-on, like, well, they're right here in the middle. I think there was a one character in a comic called Blood Blood Syndicate, who was like a mm. metamorph. Okay, yeah. Looked like a dude, but was, was a woman. Well, so Monster was really good about you know they they definitely went places nobody else was going back then. And I think I saw that one time, and I didn't not back then I didn't think too much of it because I'm thinking okay you know hey it's a fictional character, but at the same time what well, this character is trying not to be the thing that society wants it to be you know and I think even Martian Manhunter changed into women at in times so I'm like well he presents himself as male but he can also be female so I guess it was always characters who could transform and in, into different types of people so. <laughs> It's weird with John Jones because you can see the society changing because Peter David wrote a two-issue arc where uh, gender fluidity was something that freaked John Jones out in a pretty big way and it's kind of a story point. And then a few years later in JLA, there's that one uh, issue, I think, um, I don't know. It was, it was Mar- a Mazo. Huh? It was the one with, with Mazo, wasn't the, it? Okay, yeah. The, I, so I think it was a Mark Miller written issue and he presents as a, a Japanese woman. Mm-hmm. Um, now, part of it, I think, was to see if he could trick Batman, if I remember correctly, and <laughs> and he could, <laughs> I think, is it worked. Um, I think in a cartoon he did it like once or twice. Yeah. And so, you know, Miss Martian changes from female to male. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what it was. It was always characters who could transform that I could think of, and there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I feel like they present themselves as male, but can be female. Yeah. But it's or interesting. Some are always like an amalgam of, amalgam of both. Yeah. But but it kind of shows you kind of where society is because you know back in the you know the early decades, 50s, 60s, 70s, even 80s, you would never see Marshman her transform into 
to a woman. I don't remember that ever happening. And you even have that story in the early 90s where he's pointedly having a problem with that. And then just a few years later, he's doing it himself. And, you know, and I know that that's happened a few times. I think Plastic Man may have done it a few times as well. Um, and so it's like, it's I don't know if it's society or the characters that are evolving, you know, probably a mix of both. That, that, you know, that, I mean, I think that's where I encountered all that from just some shapeshifters in fiction. Like, you know, like they wouldn't just turn into a werewolf or a monster. They would just turn into, if they look like a man, they'll turn into a woman. Or in some cases, they'll amalgamate both together, you know, which I, I don't know. It's kind of hard for me to explain because even with Danny the Street, when I, you know, was reading about, you know, about that character, it's like, I get this character, he's got both traits, but it's not presenting itself as just this one trait exclusively. I know in the show, Danny's non binary. I mean, these days you can actually say that, but I know back then I wouldn't. I don't know. Back then, I know young as I was, and I didn't know much about sex and gender and all that, you know, I know I was young and, you know, you older folk ain't gonna tell you this. They always say, don't they say what, you know, don't do any of that gay shit, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Been you know, they, they always give you the negative. Mm-hmm. They never tell you about, well, all right, fine. If it's love is so unconditional, the wives is one little thing giving you a problem with me, right? Yeah. And I guess in fiction, I know that, okay, like, if you could turn into a woman, you turn into a woman. If you could turn into a man, you turn into a man. If you can amalgamate the two, you can do that too, you know? I mean, it's just a strange thing because I, I can't think of too many prominent non-binary characters who just exist. I know in recent years, they, they got that, but back then in like in the 90s or the early 2000s, I, I guess they would always flirt with it, but they never would go with it. Even oh, with more sure. uh, teasing stuff. The one that always got me was Mystique, because for a long time the theory was that she was Nightcrawler's mother, which I think eventually bore out. But the original plan was she was actually going to be Nightwing, uh, sorry, Nightcrawler's <laughs> father, and that Destiny was going to be the mother. I see. You know, that's back when I didn't know much about Mystique till I started reading yeah. and seeing her in the in the comics because in the show she would she change into guys all the time. Mm-hmm. So you know, back then when I was a kid, I'm like, well, I know she's related to. I know since she looks like a woman. Okay, she's Nightcrawler's mother. Because you think as a kid, you know, you think any more to that and all of a sudden I'm seeing guidance counselors and stuff and, you know, because my mom was like that. <laughs> but it seems to me like if, if Mystique could conceive a child as a man, then that was probably her original state. So Mystique is presented as female this entire time and everybody takes it for granted. Um, but one would assume that probably wasn't the original state. So in that regard, Mystique is probably one of the most accepted characters that would have that level of fluidity. I think that's probably why I like her, at least when she was in the X-Men movies, because when they killed Senator Kelly, she was Senator Kelly for a long while. Mm-hmm. She wasn't Mrs. Kelly as mm-hmm. a strange wife or anything like she was Senator Kelly, which, and I mean, I can look at her now as a non-binary character for sure, because she's in a queer relationship, which now is a subtext. It's, you know, it's full-on text, right. you know, whereas in before, you know, you had a throne Wolverine and she was in love with him, and oh, she was in love with Sabretooth, and yeah, I hated that. Uh, which uh, to me, it still doesn't make sense today, because I got a cartoon version second minute that these two would never hook up. No. No, and I, I look no, at the movie I, version and go, these two would never, never hook up. They would never hook up outside of bad 90s comics. And that's the well, that's the time when they would have been revealed. So I, mean, <laughs> I think that came up in the Sabretooth miniseries that Mark Texera drew. Uh, and it's like, no, no, this that, that never made sense to me. Well, for one, I'm like, what does she see in him and what does he see in her? And also, you know, these two both don't like Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> and Wolverine probably, I don't know, Wolverine and Sabretooth and Mystique, they've all been around the block. <laughs> oh, yeah, by decades, so often, yeah. So I, I look at them all and go like, you all have had sex with each other probably once, probably in the same room and didn't realize it. <laughs> just Wolverine, just, you just ain't going to talk about that in front of, you know, Scott and Gene, especially ain't going to tell Gene that. <laughs> I know recent X-Men comics, he probably would. Mm. <laughs> but back then, nah, 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 nah. So I've still got the material. I'm still planning on using it. It's just, it's I've got to get through this other stuff that's time sensitive before I can work on that. Plus I still haven't figured out where it's going to go. It, a lot of it seems like it'd be a, good for DC Bloodlines, but I haven't done one of those in ages. Uh, it yeah, might be good for DC I'm Special. Really missing, I'm really missing that podcast. Yeah, and, 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 and what I probably would need to do if it's going to be a DC Bloodlines is I need to do some Black Lightning reading and kind of put some uh, uh, interstitials in there. And so I know okay, it's going to take a little bit of work to set that up. going on from what I was reading from that run too. Exactly. Yeah, so... I got this whole thing about like I think I want to read a complete story I, I used to do the issue by issue thing but you know since trades you know you can get a lot more with a trade or a hard you know hardcover that's kind of how I do a lot of my reading because I feel like if I try to go back and get those issues cheap that way I'm just gonna have a stack of a bag and board comics that I know I might read one time and then you know put in my box in my collection so then you know they'd be there because I know the 90s <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. you. You blacked out there for a minute. Yeah, I'm uh, so sorry about that. But um, anyway, I felt like I had a premonition because all of late last year, I kept feeling like I needed to go to this one comic shop I really like that's got dollar bins, like tons of dollar bins. It's just mm-hmm. really cool. It's got a lot of different weird stuff. And I just like that shop a lot. I like visiting it as a special occasion because uh, I most of my books I get through mail order. Um, so I, I don't have a compulsion to actually go to most regular comic shops, but I like this particular one. And I had this premonition and I kept putting it off because like, look, I don't need to get anything right now. I'll, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. The COVID hits and now that I, I've got a bunch of stuff I'd like to go ahead and pick up out of those bins and just get the chance to get out of the house and explore that place. I'm not going to anytime soon. For all I know, they're going to close up before this whole thing's over with. I'm sure a lot of comic shops are going to. So I, I wish I'd, I'd followed up on that premonition, I guess, and gotten over that shop again. So uh, I, I, I recognize that urge to just get a big old stack of dollar books and, and plow into them. And for me, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, that's why I know Amazon. I mean, that's about the only place where I can buy like trades and everything. I should use um, DCBS, Discount Comic Book services but i bought like i think two savage dragon art archives from there and i don't know i bought that from amazon there's another book it was um frank chose um Liberty Meadows. That's what I bought from there, and that was like the only book I ever bought from there. But um, you can sometimes get some good deals on. I mean, Instock's trades have some deals, and they're basically the same as DCBS. Literally, it's the same company, but they're two separate websites. But they'll have sometimes better deals on back stock stuff at Instock Trades, and then MyComicShop.com also tends to have some pretty good deals. Okay, I mean, I've been up here just sticking to what I know. Yeah, and that's kind of thing. But I should try other places, mm-hmm. even though that's the thing with me right now with this whole Wonder Woman reading because. I gotta say it because like Batman well he's clearly Bruce Wayne when he's not Batman or Superman's Clark Kent when he's like being Superman and even Martian Manhunter on that show he didn't have a civilian identity till about like the end of like near the end of um of Just League Unlimited season two was it like by like near Destroyer where he went off after him and Diana talked about like well you know what? I can't just be stuck up here in a watchtower I need something else to do so he becomes an elderly Asian gentleman which is fine but it's not a story engine you don't get new stories out of him being a retiree I liked him as a detective yeah exactly the detective works and they've used him well in the uh, Berlanti verse as well with his time which I like that's my favorite version of him right there mm-hmm. where he's you know he was Hank Henshaw and now he's just John Jones private eye you know which to me I'm like that makes sense because I know the character was, I know he was voiced by Carl Lumley who was Mantis and I'd watch that show when I was a kid and I'm like okay I know that guy I've seen him and stuff like, he's a great actor because when he did the voice on the cartoon because I think Carl Lumley played Martian Manhunter's father on Supergirl. Mm-hmm. So for me, once again, I'm thinking, oh yeah, cartoon connection again, because I was always looking for that. And you know, him as a detective, as a black detective, I mm-hmm. thought that's interesting because my head always thought of him as black and white, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, a, in a group like the Justice League that's so white, you need to find whatever inroad you can for inclusion. And it just, it, it seems to work well. My favorite live action Martian Manhunter so far is Phil Morris on Smallville. I like oh, him. Good. Yeah, I like him has like sort of the space uh, detective space bounty hunter and uh, I recently started watching Doom Patrol now that it's on HBO Max and mm-hmm. they've got him playing Cyborg's dad oh yeah yeah and, I, and, I got I got that I got season one on DVD I like that though yeah I'm still only a few episodes in so uh, but <laughs> what I like is that because he's the father of Cyborg there was always a little bit of resentment that Cyborg replaced Marshman Hunter as a founder uh, in the Justice League in the New 52 which they've mostly walked back at this point um, mm-hmm. but there's something about having that continuity of having Phil Morris play his dad on that show where it's almost like okay I'm okay with it now you know there's like this weird tacit connection where it's like a handoff where it's like a version of John Jones has passed the baton to a version of Cyborg and I for some reason just like I'm medical with it now it's like okay you, you, you've sold me on it for me I like it because because I've seen him on Smallville I almost couldn't believe that he was Martian Manhunter on that I'm like okay alright this, this wasn't how at the time I envisioned I envisioned him you know because I always saw him as green you know well and he's such a stiff in the Justice League cartoon I, I had oh, trouble with it uh, and so I like that he was cool you know I mean he's probably a little too cool Martian Manhunter probably shouldn't be as cool as Phil Morris was uh, to me and, I mean, and, I'm like that that's cool right there yeah but but I you know I I, I think that's a version of Martian Manhunter that would have broader appeal so I, I kind of and I, I just like Phil Morris I just enjoy watching him perform anyway so uh, he's, a great, so far, he's a great actor but yeah. when he was Cyborg's father I'm like I can see why him and the chief would not get along because he's trying to tell him hey that's my kid over there and he's like it be one of your experiments and I'm glad you helped but my wife is dead or I'm like I get it this is a man who's all struggling like, hey yeah my son 
Sloan can hang out over here, but he's not going to go on one of your crazy missions here now is colder. And, you know, even with Timothy Dalton on there as the chief, that's what really maybe kind of maybe want to reread Doom Patrol again. I'm like, okay, now this is the chief right here. <laughs> he used to be James Bond telling another life. <laughs> well, you're never going to beat Joe Morton for Silas Stone. You know, this is the guy who, this is Cyberdyne's creator, you know? So, of course, he's got, <laughs> of course, he'd turn his kid to a cyborg. It totally makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, my son now is a Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> One more micro booster and I could take out a tank. Now will you tell me? I told you everything. Come on, Dad. What was he like? What'd he say? He was tall. Oh, jeez. I know what he looks like. Weren't you freaked? He's a killer alien. He, he lost his cousin, but then he had the protoplasm Supergirl who became the Earth Angel Supergirl who eventually was replaced by the actual Kryptonian Supergirl return. But um, Earth Angel Supergirl looked like Supergirl from Superman animated series for a time. For a time, Thinking yeah. like Yeah, for a time, which I thought that was interesting. It almost made me buy that book. <laughs> God, hey, that's the one cartoon. And the funny thing is that's actually when I dropped the book. I really liked Supergirl when they were dealing with supernatural stuff and mm -hmm. the duality of her being emerged entity with uh, Linda Danvers. And once they started doing her more like she was in the cartoon i didn't i felt like they didn't really know what to do with supergirl anymore so I, that was actually a jumping off point for i know we're at two book. i know we're at two different opposite spectrums on that one because mm -hmm. for me i was watching everything going like, i hope it's like that in the book mm -hmm. and you know half time coming across like well this ain't like it was in the show <laughs> no true true well but see like i i don't I, all the stuff the protoplasm supergirl i didn't care for either i i didn't become a supergirl fan really until the the peter david run with the earth angel stuff and then i've come to appreciate a lot of stuff that came before that um, and you know I, and I saw the movie when I was a kid too so uh, I've Slater. seen that one yeah, and it's a terrible I've movie but I still have affection for it uh, what do you I think mean, it's, it's a movie I remember going like I hope they uh, I mean because when I heard they were making the show I'm like I hope to god they don't do that right don't do that that movie was like a canon film right if oh. Superman 4 was a canon film <laughs> yeah it's very cheap and very badly conceived and badly written and mostly it, badly acted it, and again and a guy from Die Hard who was saying, hey, booby, I'm your white knight. He, <laughs> he's trying to make the moves on Supergirl. Ironically enough, he tried to make the moves on the Phantasm, Andrea Belmont. <laughs> but, but, but you've got Helen Slater, and she's beautiful, and she looks great in the suit, and she gets the basics down. And you've got Peter O'Toole, who's awesome, and you've got uh, 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 What's-Her-Face from uh, Network, and I can't remember her name. Faye Dunaway is just chewing up the scenery. Um, so there's stuff in there you know, that still has some value to it, but yeah, it's a terrible movie. I won't. I won't defend it. It's, it's it put like this. It wasn't. I mean, I think there was another thing where I heard about Supergirl was about the crisis. You know, she died mm -hmm. in that. Her and Barry were supposed to be dead. <laughs> you know? Well, and again, you know, her and that Barry. was the only issue of Crisis of Infinite Earths that I got when it came out, and it definitely formed uh, an opinion for me of Supergirl. And I, I, it was a great story. And there were Supergirl fans that are like, "Why is that everybody's favorite story? That's the one where they kill off my favorite character." But it's so well done. It's one of the best comic book deaths, I think. I mean, between her and Barry, I feel like. I mean, if you if you're really about trying to do that Marvel continuity where well, even Marvel doesn't do it anymore where people they kill characters and then they bring them back but for a time dead was dead you know with mm -hmm. DC I mean at least with their animated stuff they really were about keep people dead mm -hmm. which I think that's probably why I liked it that stuff more almost like when they killed Turpin Turpin was dead mm -hmm. well and especially uh, because they killed him on the animated show after basing him visually off of Jack Kirby and so if if Jack Kirby would lived a few extra years as Dan Turpin on that cartoon and they kill him at the end of it it's gonna sting it's gonna hurt you know yeah. So uh, that, that was very effectively done. Which I'm surprised in the comics they didn't draw Dan Turpin to look like he did on that show, which I'm sure, I gotta think I got a good reason why they didn't do it, but that's the thing though, when I was watching those cartoons, I'm thinking the comic books are gonna be exactly like this. Except, you know, they had the Superman Adventures comics and the Batman Adventure, mm -hmm. Adventures comics and I think they had Justice League Adventure comics about when that show mm -hmm. came on. Mm -hmm. I know DC would love to do that though. That's kind of a thing I miss and when they did this new Batman comic that came out now, I got a little bit excited because I'm thinking okay you, you all using that like, these are the lost episodes where the, the characters should, if we had one more season they would have appeared on here mm -hmm. if we didn't have the bat embargo they would have been on Justice League mm -hmm. yeah and uh, when those books were coming out uh, that was at a time where there were a lot of older fans that were not happy with all the Asbat stuff everything and the, the the both of those series are very well regarded uh, Mark Miller used to write the Superman one before he became a shot oh, before shot. he went yeah. Yeah, before before he, went bad yeah before he 
became a shock jock. Um, and he's supposed to have written <laughs> some really great Superman stories in that time period. And uh, they also did one called uh, Adventures in the DC Universe. It was decent. Not, I don't think it was good as the other series, but it was neat because they were showing what an animated series featuring their heroes of the late 90s time period would be like if they were included before. And I kind of wish they would have done it. Yeah. Well, I think I wish they would have done it way back then. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, ultimately, Justice League Unlimited essentially did that, you know? Um, but it was kind of. They did cool. it as a contemporary. It was like a mixed version of the way everybody looked. Yeah. But it, like with Adventure of the DC Universe, you actually got a few Wonder Woman solo stories. You got Kyle Rayner stories. You got Co- Connor Hawk was in a few issues. You got to see characters that didn't ever get a spotlight in Justice League. Or sometimes I think a few of them may have been embargoed and, and not available for use. So it, it had a special place, but it wasn't as good as the other series either. You know, people really I mean, responded well to the Batman and Superman series. Because I don't know what it is. I think when DC does like their little stuff, it's like tie into their cartoons or whatever. At least with the cartoons, I'm more, I, I just get excited for it because I guess at a time when those came out, I didn't expect to see them in that style. As you know, you got oh, yeah. your, your well, and big also, boy comic style. And they had the Superman and Batman magazine out and uh, Mike Perilback before he died who was one of the best people in drawing in that sort of Tim type style uh, was interpreting I mean, he all did their... like, I think he was like I, like this, I think I like to compare it to the way Perilback did it was like season one through three of how mm-hmm. Batman animated series looked because mm-hmm. everybody was pretty bulky looking and, yeah but, but it, you, you... He, he had developed his style before the Bruce Tim animated model was created so he could draw similar to that but he was still drawing his own style so it was a nice kind of contrast a lot of the people who came afterwards uh, Ty Templeton in particular comes to mind were basically just doing a Bruce Tim pastiche it just kind of looked like him adapting the cartoons where what was nice about well, Parabek a, uh, Parabek was, was drawing in his own a, style that just happened to complement it okay cause I think as a kid when I saw that stuff I'm like well, I mean because I'm thinking I'm not going to be able to draw like I'm not going to be able to draw like um Brian Bolin and I'm not going to be able to draw like um you know you know the artists of the 90s at mm-hmm. the time or John Bogdanov and all them I think well I watch this cartoon all the time and you try to draw like that I think as a kid I, I couldn't do it quite right because mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of curves and stuff and you know the upper torsos were very you know wide and stuff like that and the legs are almost very very small you know I wouldn't I mean better than what Rob Liefeld would do but except it's cleaner mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah but as they look like in the shows you look at it and because there's not a lot of detail you think it's it'd be easy to do but you really have a good have to have a good command of anatomy to play with the anatomy like that and you have to have a great command of the line to draw with that level of simplicity it's way easier I mean, I to cover draw stuff like up that now. yeah it's so much easier to cover stuff up in details i mean i'm not i'm not, i'm not a great artist my own self i'm pretty lousy in fact but i can cross hatch all over something to make it look you know at least halfway decent just by covering it up all the mistakes with the cross hatching and like so you know <laughs> i mean that's the thing because i think when I was watching that, I was watching all that and reading all that. I know as a kid, there was a lot of stuff where I was just absorbing. I was like a sponge for all the stuff where I'm like, I want to do that. And I think older I got, like now, I think now, I, I'm not even sure now I can draw like Tim and all of them or even Paraback. I mean, I try to do very simple, but it, it becomes pop art after a while the more I do it. Mm-hmm. It's like I got very thick outlines, very simple shapes for faces and muscles and stuff because I know I'm not trying to do realistic. That's the thing. I think that's what it was as a kid. I had like Batman stickers from like the animated series and I tried to draw like that all the time got on the nerves of my teachers and stuff and I think as a teenager I called thinking myself a big boy artist you know I'm thinking I'm gonna try to draw like like they, like they did in the books and fell very short and I mean you know Dan Jurgens drawing Superman or, or Jim Apparel drawing Batman or Graham Nolan and all of them you know the, the artists who when you look at their work it, it can be a trading card or a, or a poster you know what I mean mm-hmm. that's the thing with 90s DC art it's like it wasn't like Marvel D, like Marvel art and with Wonder Woman I can tell like with her books it was like the, it was like the opposite of that you know where they weren't trying to do it was before Diodato came in it was 90s 90s you know making everything like it was circa 1992 even though it was in like 95 I don't know that's the weird thing with DC's art you know it's like when I look at their stuff it's Marvel has Jim Lee and at the time DC didn't mm-hmm. you know or Marvel had Todd McFarlane which even though DC had Todd McFarlane but Marvel let him go off the chain you know um, alright DC had Rob Liefeld but Rob Liefeld wasn't going to stay there so I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's like they have this weird relationship with. I like certain DC artists who draw the books, but I, you know, I got my few favorites. I don't have like a whole list I can name you, you know, because I don't know what it is. DC tries to be artistic, well, art wise, it's trying to be realistic and fa- and fantastic. You know, it's this weird little uncanny valley <laughs> for me. Like I like John Bogdanoff because that's cartoony. I like um, I think who else? Kelly Jones because that's cartoony. Or if it looks like the cartoon, I'm all over it. You know, mm-hmm. but Ed McGinnis is still my Superman artist. You know. No, oh yeah, to, no, to me that's another one because I think when I bought a few of his Superman books, I'm like, oh, just like the cartoon, because yeah. <laughs> the way 
the way they drew Batman looked like he was on the new Batman adventures. Mm-hmm. Well, and what was cool about that is they it was like the cartoons, but it was also fairly detailed and certainly with that really crazy imagey type of musculature. So it's almost like the best of both worlds to some degree. Yeah, and I think I don't I think because I, I had like two or three of those books from that time and a tie-in from tie-in to um, our worlds at war. And I think after that, I wasn't buying much Superman again. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the problem was Jeff Loeb was writing the stories that Ed McGinnis was drawing, and I'm not a Jeff Loeb fan at all. So I, I would get drawn in wanting to look at the books, and then when I would start to read them, I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is I don't need this. This is what I want. But, I mean, I mean, I know they didn't do Wonder Woman. I'm sure he probably would have done a, a, a terrible job at it. I don't know. Who, Ed McGinnis? McGinnis drew yeah, in uh, JLA Classified. Okay. He did the first, I think, uh, I think three issue one. arc with the Ultramarines, and uh, it was it was uh, the, the Magnificent Seven JLA, except that John Stewart was swapped out uh, or swapped onto the team. So you got to see McGinnis draw okay. him as well. Okay, because that's another one I miss. I've seen images of that cover, and that was about it. Mm-hmm. I put that on my partner. I put that on my family. Oakland City represent. Address me as your majesty. Yeah, you can kiss the ring, but you can never touch the crown. I smoke a million Swisher blunts and I ain't never coming down. Bitch, you ain't no Barbie. I see you work at Arby's. Number two, supersized. Hurry up, I'm starving. We think you're special. Dr. and Artificial Twins, Brad Lonard, Brian Morris, Chris Dunford, who added best description ever to our tweeted blurb. It's like drunk history with Frank and Anishua who's who published in the New 52. Chris Lydon, Dave's Comic Heroes blog, Derek W.C., Ed Moore, The Hammer Strikes, Random Geek, E-Stuff, Iowa's Joe is, JMT Productions, Julia Raul, who added Happy New Year. I want to say I love how you expressed the differences between Marvel and DC whenever it comes to religion in their universes, and how Captain America is kinda a DC hero but would be barring there. How in DC gods freely walk around and the JLA fought rogue angels. Kailosh Jwalamaki, writer and media in charge. Keith G. Baker, Lorenzo Sleestack, Martin Gray, at Mart Gray, who added thank you very much. Happy New Year, Mazonga Daniel, Patriot, Mike at Send Aliens to Me, Men, Miguel Quiroz, My Comic Book Collection 70s to 90s, Nucky 777, Nuno Quaresma, Once Upon a Geek, Richard Field, Roger Preeb, Ronald Clark, Sam Lowe, Scott X, Sean McLaughlin, Sean Phillips, Siskoid, Superbound, and Tim Price, The Pod Crasher. The preceding program is a nonprofit fan production. Any copyrighted materials contained therein are believed borrowed under fair use with no copyright infringement intended. Please feel free to leave comments at Rolled Spine's Productions WordPress blog. You can also send us Twitter comments through the Rolled Spine Podcast Twitter. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 